Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 224 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, our guest today is a return guest. Uh, He was on last month with his wife, Jenny, where they told a very powerful, personal, raw story about losing their daughter at the age of five. And if you heard that episode, oh my goodness, it was just heartbreaking. I heard from someone on social today who said, you know, finish listening to that episode, sitting in my car, ugly crying. I did the same thing. I just broke down when we finished the episode. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to share um, not only the ups of leadership, but the downs of leadership, because I think, isn't that where we all live? Like really every day, that's where we live. Levi's back. And this time I have an interview with him about his ministry. And uh, it was a fun opening question. Opening question is like, dude, why Montana? Why do you, why do you plant this like mega church in Montana? And he's got a fascinating answer. So I think you're going to love that. Also, thank you to all of you who have left ratings and reviews. We read them all. We've had some of the best uh, Tuesdays, like in the release day and weeks and months we've ever had on this podcast in terms of listenership. Thank you to Katie Bowman. You just left a review uh, to Rick DLR to a guy named Sunbar. I think it's a guy. Uh, S. Biguen, thank you for that. And then best name ever on iTunes, Pastor Easy E. Would you, I'm going to change my name to like Pastor Easy E. That's the best one ever. Guys, thank you so much for your reviews and thank you for helping us get the word out. Also this week, we got a couple of special things coming up. Uh, one is I, I did this course called Breaking 200 and it has helped literally over a thousand churches get past the 200 barrier. We've got some special material for you coming up on this podcast in the next week or so that are going to help you smash growth barriers. But the course is available right now at the best price it will ever be offered at. The price is going to go up next week. I would love for you to get in on it before it's too late. So head on over to breaking200course.com and get in on that before the price goes up. And speaking of rising prices, any employer listening to this, whether you're a faith-based organization, a not-for-profit, a church, if you have five employees or more, you need to check out Remodel Health. One of the challenges I think a lot of people are dealing with is just payroll costs that are getting out of control. And it's tough for employers. It's tough for employees. That's where Remodel Health uses technology to say, Enough with one size fits all. Even if you have 500 employees, they're like, we can custom tailor healthcare plans for individual needs, greatly reducing your costs and greatly helping the beneficiaries. So everybody wins. And healthcare costs are crippling. I talked to Justin Clements. He's the CEO and founder of Remodel Health. And I said, is it true that families are actually going bankrupt because of healthcare costs? It is. Um, In the United States... The number one reason for personal bankruptcy is because of uh, medical bills. 40% of Americans that file bankruptcy say that they're filing bankruptcy because of medical bills. Those people that that file bankruptcy, uh, 80% of them have health insurance. It's not that they don't have health insurance. It's that they can't afford a high deductible, and then they don't have enough help and protection after they come into a situation that, that is making them hit their deductible. What if it could just be easier for everybody? On average, Remodel Health not only saves employees money, but employers money. 34% on average is what they're saving faith-based organizations and churches. Check out remodelhealth.com slash carry. Learn more and get into 2018 when it comes to saving on healthcare. Also, do you know that when a church starts using digital giving, giving actually increases. I mean, think about it. If, if you had to pay cash for everything, and I'm sure there's like five of you who still pay cash for everything, but most of us, guess what we're using? I use Apple Pay all the time. I pay off my watch, all right? And you can't do that in most churches, which is why more and more churches are turning to push pay. The average American spends about four hours a day on their cell phone. And last year, push pay facilitated $3 billion in contributions to churches. It's no wonder so many organizations trust PushPay to drive participation, engagement, 
and inspire generosity. So visit pushpay.com to learn more, see what everyone is saying, and talk to an expert who can help your people give. Because you know what? A lot of people want to give. They just don't know how. And it is 2018. And when you visit pushpay.com and talk to someone, tell them that I sent you. Tell them Carrie sent you. Hey, we are going to jump in now to my conversation with Fresh Life Church's founding pastor, Levi Lusco. Well, Levi, welcome to the podcast. It's a privilege to have you. Thanks for having me on. It's a real great privilege. So I got to start in an interesting place. Um, Why Montana? You know what? I ask myself that regularly. Um, (laughs) Looking back, I think the reason is because of all the salvations and all of the powerful things God's done. Um, Looking forward, we could only have a hunch that that was going to be the case because we never would have picked Montana. Uh, I grew up in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, so I liked the mountains. That, yeah. like a, just preference-wise, I love the mountains. But I thought I was going to stay in Orange County, California, and surf and eat In-N-Out burgers. But uh, God just started to put this real dream of planting a church in an area where if that church didn't exist, that option wouldn't be available of the kind of church we were going to open. And so Montana got put on the radar um, real randomly. Uh, someone said, offhand to us after we'd spoken at an event in Montana, you should come plant a church here. And we didn't even intend to pray about it, but we said, we'll pray about that. Uh Oh, God wouldn't let us stop thinking about it. So 12 years later, here we are. Really? That's, that's amazing. And because I mean, Orange County, lots of large churches, you could have easily had a fruitful ministry there. Was it just like as random as that? Somebody said, come plant a church in Montana. And that was about it. The guy who said it didn't even live here. He just vacationed here, but he never could find a church to go to on vacation. And he was kind of saying, you know, Orange County, you throw a rock, you can hit Saddleback, Mariners, you know, Jensen's Church. Like there's so many, and granted there's 3 million people, but uh, in Orange County, but uh, just the kind of life-giving scripture teaching, you know, young, charismatic, like, like the kind of church that we lead. That when we moved here, there wasn't really a church like that in this area. It was a lot of yeah. real... God bless them all. Small, you know, kind of more denominational, little Ten Commandments in the front lawn of the church style, you know, churches. And the the kind of church that we would, that we did start here, it just didn't exist in this area. So I think God broke our heart for that. Was it hard to get you and Jenny on the same page on that one? Oh, my wife is the most flexible person. She's always like, the answer is yes, what's the question? And that's... (sighs) I mean, she's she, there, if there's a person who's down for the ride and up for the adventure, she always thought she would end up on the mission field. So for her, this was a, an upgrade of being in Montana compared to, you know, maybe she at one point would have thought she'd end up in, you know, Nepal or Thailand or something. Wow. So that wasn't difficult at all. So Southern California, growing up in the Rocky Mountains, was there a culture shift that happened or that you needed to make when you moved to Montana? You know, I had never been around a hunting culture uh, in Montana. The outdoorsy snowboards, um, you know, rock climbing, that kind of culture, I understand. Yeah. But being around hunting culture, you know, bow, the opening of bow hunting season, it being a big deal and seeing church attendance drop because, oh, you can go out in the woods and kill an elk. But it's amazing. People go out and they shoot an elk with a bow and arrow, which is very impressive to me. And then yeah. they have meat in their freezer all all winter long we my dentist just gave me some moose sticks and we made fajitas moose sticks that's a thing best fajitas i've ever had in my life from moose (laughs) i mean it was amazing that's awesome now i mean coming from surfer culture in southern california i mean i i say that with a bit of interest i you know i'm an hour north of toronto for the last 23 years i moved into a farming culture as well i'm really an urban transplant and I mean, people ride ATVs and hunting season is a thing here and they wear fatigues. And I'm like, wow, do you want to go for a flat white? And, you know, it's like, how, how do you how do you bridge that? Well, honestly, I don't try to. I, I think part of the reason we've worked is because we haven't done that. You know, a lot of the yeah. churches here, again, they're doing the hunter's banquet and et cetera, et cetera. And we've kind of just done our thing and been who we are. And I think, um, first of all, there's a whole generation here that doesn't like that because that's what they've grown up with. And so when we started our church, 
we never ever would use such tacky language. But what we began to be referred to around town was the rock and roll church. Right. And, and so we found ex- incredible success in, you know, teenagers, 20 year olds coming around who didn't want to be in the kind of quote unquote redneck, you know, kind of like, and, and the thing is, is that there's TV and there's the internet and yeah. to understand culture. So there's, there's people who don't want that. And I, and also a lot of people, not your dear people who do hunt and are fatigues and are, you know, that way they, they know it's funny that they're going to come and hear me make fun of country music and kind of, and they, you know, just kind of like that, that's, it's tongue in cheek. And I, I just think it is what it is. People are people. That's really interesting to me. You know, I was sitting around with some, um, just some church leaders from Nashville of all places, and they were kind of trying to find my Canadian accent in an afternoon of conversation. And it popped up once or twice. And I said, you guys don't really have a strong Southern accent. And they said, almost everyone our age doesn't because of the internet, because of that. Is that something you're seeing like with younger adults and teenagers that there's almost a monoculture now that is independent of geography? I completely think so. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the worldview is not so much being shaped by the, um, you know, and, and I think that's why the whole, you can overthink uh, when, you're, when you're starting your church and trying to get the mindset of the city you're moving into. I think you can overthink that and as a result miss it because there can be too much of trying to localize. You know, I, I think the, the, the big, one of the big words that businesses are having to use right now is globalization. Right. How do we global feel, but the local impact? So Starbucks not rolling out, you know, wintertime initiatives as much that are in cold climates. Somewhat, you want every Starbucks to feel the same, but you also do want them to feel local. And I think that's the church, in, in business and in church planning, you have to really think through how much of the pendulum should swing to the global, the global side and, and the local side. And I think that's a fine dance that you always have to be watching the, the, the clutch on. So let's talk about that for a minute. You know, as you've now you've got a, what, 12 year track record. Fresh Life is, is 12 years old. So are there limits to what you found you can do? You sort of have your ideal picture, maybe in your mind, Levi, of what you want your church to be, but you're like, you know what, that doesn't work here. Or have you run into that? Like, how has the model translated? Do you have to put any cultural buffering in? We're transitioning from a church in Kalispell with satellite campuses to a church existing in four states. Because, you know, we started in Montana, but now we're in, you know, Salt Lake City, Utah, Portland, Oregon. We were given a church in Portland a year ago that we're transitioning. Um, Then we're in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So we've been really working intentionally hard, and we're not there yet, but uh, to, to no longer be a church that broadcasts its messages out to other places and truly a church in four states. So one of the things we're doing right now is we're in a series where we're highlighting uh, the hiking trails in all the different states. So um, we did a week dedicated to Wyoming, a week dedicated to Oregon, a week to Montana, and a week to, to uh, Utah coming up. So we, we actually, got, I got back in at midnight last night. We were at Moab out uh, at the canyons hiking and filming video to really showcase. Cause one of our big emphasis is uh, we use this hashtag right where we live. And we're really trying to, you know, do what God told those in Jeremiah's day to do to, to seek the peace of the city where we live and to showcase the beauty of the States, et cetera. So we've been really intentional about um, not coming across as a Kalispell church where others are listening and really um, every four of the States having their own unique uh, beauty represented through our church. Mm. So you're kind of finding those common denominators that just transcend everything. I think so. And I, I know, I know that you can't improve in something you're not aware is a problem. And we kind of realized, you know, it, we were slanting. Callus Bell's our broadcast canvas, so we, we would we would use the language around here or on our central staff of it's not slanted Callus Bell heavy, and it right. makes everyone feel like they're eavesdropping. How did you pick Callus Bell? Again, um, it picked us and it was not intentional. Um, so the guy made the comment, you should start a church here. That was actually in reference to Kalispell, which is not the biggest city in the state. No, it's, I was going to say that would probably be a new name to a lot of people who even know you. Yes. Kalispell with a K. California, Kalispell. But it sounds like you're saying cow's bell if you don't it say it right. It kind of does. Yeah. Hey, it's a can, can anything good come out of Nazareth thing, honestly. 
and I think that's why God picked it, Carrie, because um, if he could, if, if it, it would make sense for us to go start a church in Denver or Seattle or, you know, or, or San Diego. But the way that God has done this um, from Kalispell touching this region and then from Kalispell, God giving us a platform to other places, it, it, it honestly doesn't make any sense on paper. Kalispell mm-hmm. has 30,000 people in it. That's the population. Wow. We, a couple of years ago, we had, we had this crazy big Easter thing. And we had 5,000 people in Kalispell on Easter Sunday. And we were joking. It's one out of six people in the valley that were at our Easter service. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. What was, so let's focus on Kalispell for a minute, if I've got that pronunciation correct. You're crushing that. <laughs> crushing it good. <laughs> Something's going right today. What was the town's reaction? I mean, we have one of our locations, our Aurelia locations, exactly that, 30,000 people. I mean, you get noticed. In a town like that, you can slip into New York and be a church of 10,000. Nobody knows you're there. Uh, You show up with eight people in Kalispell and people talk. So what was the response when you guys showed up from California? A little bit of everything, as you can imagine. I mean, we've been on the front page of the newspaper a lot of times. Some good, some bad. It's funny. We the the Sunday after we had the 5,000 people together on the Easter service, the next morning, that one we didn't make the paper. Uh, the newspaper headline front page was above the fold bear gets into trash and it reported <laughs> the bear in a trash can. And we just laughed because it was like, that's literally a slow day in the news. Like you'll end up with deer or bear in the trash can, you know, <laughs> but, but then, you know, when we buy a building up, we're the big evil monsters for real estate, you know, and not right. paying taxes and all the you know, kind of the drama that you get from, from a nonprofit side of things. Oh boy. So, anything we do a little bit becomes news, but then the things that, that you, you know are newsworthy sometimes don't. Um, but, you know, we've been called a cult and all the rest. We started above a bar, so that didn't help probably. Right, right. Because it was available, I assume, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just a space above a bar. And, you know, we really wanted to build a church that was the, you know, a place comfortable for seekers like you, you know, do uh, so well. The kind of church where no one's worried about the building falling in on them because they got maybe drunk their last Friday night. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. And so that that itself was different. Did did the local churches? Because this is a real issue for people who are in smaller, medium sized towns. Do the local churches feel threatened by you, or even now, especially, do they feel threatened by you? Right now, I have a really good friendship with the two big churches in town. That yeah. uh, one of them's new. Or newer, it was an old, old church that got taken over, and the, and the guy took it over, and I had become really good friends. He's for sure the most, those other guys are the more influential churches in the city. So thank goodness we have a great relationship with, mm-hmm. with, the, with them. But there was a season, not so much. Uh, the predecessor there, you know, we, we would hear regularly. So they were talking about y'all again on a weekend and warning their kids about you, and, you know, and then just random stuff like uh, we, we had heard um, that one church was saying, that we would flyer the cars in the parking lot of their church, like trying to <laughs> basically win people over, and which is ridiculous. I mean, first of all, you know as well as I do, the people who come from other churches are the ones who bring the most problems because oh, yeah. whatever caused them to leave their church is going to make them a devil of hell of yours. And especially when they come saying how terrible their old pastor was, you're almost like, let me start my stopwatch because you'll be saying this <laughs> me tomorrow. Totally. And the non-Christians who come in pagan have no idea they're not the ones arguing about the flavor of the community juice and the ba- temperature of the baptism water, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, we've had some, we've had our fair share of moments of, of being on the receiving end of that. And I think the thing we just do is we just make it a policy that we're never, we're never, we're never going to talk bad about other churches. We're never going to run them down and just let, let that work itself out. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a really smart approach. So if I, if my math is correct, are you at 12 locations now? That's correct. That's a lot of locations. And what's really cool is you've got pictures of your locations on your website, which I found really fascinating. One of the things, uh, first of all, let me, let, me, let me break this down. How did you get to 12 locations? Let's start there. Okay, so when we, when we hit a tipping point, Carrie, um, where we knew the rate of people moving into the city of Kalispell and... The, 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 the clip at which we were growing, we kind of just realized, okay, we're going to hit a saturation point where there's not enough new people coming in. 
and the people who live in the city have either A, been invited, B, been, or C, are not going to, are, 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 are right. pretty set in their ways on not coming. Barring an act of God, they're not coming here. Keep loving them and killing them with kindness, but chances are they're not there. So we realized, okay, this can't keep growing at this rate forever. How, so, can, I, can I interrupt with just a quick question? How big is your Kalispell campus now, your so, broadcast? On on a good Sunday, we'll see 1,800 people in Kalispell. Yeah, and you're thinking that's near the top of the curve, maybe. Yeah, well, we actually we actually hit a saturation point there where we were closer to 2,500 people for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been 12 years in Kalispell. We've had some ups and downs, some difficulties, you know, as any church does. So we hit a point. We actually began making plans to, to, to branch out at about 750 because we just saw the writing on the wall as far as a n- new customer base. Does it, yeah. that make sense? It does. So we, um, we began making plans for another location, and then, um, and then we opened up another one. And then at that point, I, kind of my goal was to get a campus in every major market in Montana, So, which we've done that now. There's and no how, how many cities is that in Montana? Nine. Wow. So that's anywhere, any population over 30,000. Because Kalispell is actually on the smaller end. Butte is maybe 20,000, but right around there. Like anywhere where there's that many people or more. So Missoula, Bozeman, Billings, Helena, Great Falls, and, and then Butte, Whitefish, and then um, Polson. Hmm. So, but Polson, Kalispell, Whitefish are all in this valley that is about a hundred thousand people, all three of them together. So that's our greatest concentration of churches is Whitefish, Kalispell, Polson. Then it spreads out from there. So after that goal of like, because there's only 1 million people in all of Montana. Right. Right. So it actually dawned on me the day I was in Miami, I was preaching at a church and I was, I was staying at a a sky, like a, a hotel high up in the sky. Right. I'm saying that badly. It was a tall hotel. Tall building. Yeah. Wait, You're thinking not many of these in Montana. We don't have an escalator in the city I live in. <laughs> not one, Carrie. That would be fascinating. The escalator test. You know what? Yeah. Aurelia would probably fail. It doesn't have an escalator either. So you have to drive an hour and a half to get to an escalator from where I'm at. <laughs> and I, it was so funny because we were, we were in this, on a trip once and my kids kept playing with the escalator and asking to go up and to get down it again. And I was like, why would you, why do you guys, why, why would you want to do this? And then it dawned on me that we don't have one. Right. So, anyhow. That's amazing. So I'm in Miami. We're on a 20th floor hotel, whatever. And I'm looking out of the city and it dawned on me that I could see a million people right where I was. I could see a million people. And then I thought, how far would I have to go up to see a million people in Montana? And I realized I'd have to go 30,000 feet or so. Like, you know, you get, roughly speaking, yeah. you have to go basically above the whole state. And that was when God kind of pushed my, pushed my heart. Like, how do I reach a million people? Well, God just kind of saying, you're going to have to get creative. And so at that point, our strategy shifted to more of a shotgun approach, where if we can get a small campus in every uh, city within Montana, it, we can have a, 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 we won't run out of opportunities of people to reach. And so from there, it spread out to Salt Lake City. And then, you know, from now, now we see ourselves, like I said, a church in four states. That's amazing. So uh, one of the things I would encourage people to do, we'll link to this in the show notes, but I would encourage people to visit your church's website and look at the buildings because often, you know, and you speak at the the most, you know, the biggest conferences there are, and often when you're on a stage with the band and the lights and everything, people just make this assumption that you're going back to, you know, massive campuses that cost $20 million each. And that's not exactly your story, is it, Levi? Oh, good. No. If there was a bootstrap operation, it's ours. Yep. You know, like I said, we didn't go through ARC. We didn't go through, you know, the vertical church network. When we started our church, we, I mean, I was a teaching pastor at a church in Orange County. We left. We had enough savings to live for a year. I told a couple friends, hey, you want to come with me? One came. Two came within the next couple months. But we just literally gathered people in a bar, above that, that little room above the bar, and started teaching the Bible. We had 14 people come our first weekend. There was no plan. There was no launch team. There was no, we were, I think we were still buying MySpace ads back then. <laughs> back uh, in the day. 
there was no Facebook. There was no iPhone. There right. was no, I mean, I was tweeting, but it was, you had to go to the website to tweet. You couldn't do it mobile yet. Right. You could still text your tweets. Do you remember that? That was how I tweeted. I texted. Yep. You could text to Twitter. All right. Few of us remember that. So we bought a newspaper ad. I mean, it was, we put flyers up on the community boards and uh, 14 people came. So, I mean, it was literally just a very small start, humble beginnings. And then, you know, uh, when we go into a new town, now we're using more of the ARC method to build a launch team, et cetera. But we're having to adapt it to a small town, you know? Yeah. And some of those, I mean, when you're in a small town, and I've got a few episodes uh, either coming up or this in this past year where we've talked about small town ministry, I really commend you for that because I think the gospel is going dark in a lot of small towns uh, when you get outside the Bible Belt. And it's going to require innovation. And I know, you know, Craig has done, Craig Rochelle has done an unbelievable job of figuring out a model where they can pop out campuses fairly quickly and fairly inexpensively, but it's still in the millions. And what does it cost Fresh Life Church to, like, what's your minimum viable footprint? Like, what for you is success in a small town? Yeah, I mean, uh, our goal would be to launch... um, right around 500. I mean, that would be a great launch for us, you know, and then you're going to see that attrition the next weekend, you know, 250 people. And, and then you're going to you can kind of grow from there. I think, uh, I think one of the big things has been having to adapt, like you said, the mentality of, you know, what a successful launch looks like and, and being willing to see it on a smaller scale and grow from there. Yeah, because some of them are almost, is it correct? Like storefronts, which, and I'm saying this from the most complimentary way I can because I think it's going to require what I really admire about what you're doing is the innovation that's involved. Like I'm looking, Kalispell is an old theater. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And then um, your location, where was it? Uh, Oh yeah. In Polson. That looks, is that a storefront? Yeah, that's a storefront. So that would be maybe 3000 square feet. I mean, it's not big. Yeah. You know, that was my guess. I was saying to a friend, I think that's about 3,000 square feet. This is where I, I I mean, I don't want to, this is your interview, but I think the future lies in what you're doing in places like Poulsen, where you get a really vibrant church with a strong presence and you can flip a storefront at 3,000 square feet into a place where people can meet Jesus. Like, I think that is innovative and amazing. And you know what? Most of the leaders listening to this could do that. And, you know, honestly, Carrie, that, that's very kind, everything you're saying. We're, we've had, we're having to figure that out on our own and not compare ourselves to, you know, in our mind to other church plants in Boston or in, you know, a, a city with millions, a metropolitan area where you are going to buy a $5 million facility or more. Um, so we've had to st- figure out who we are. But the thing that, that's heartbreaking is if we're not in Polson doing this, who, who's coming from Miami to launch in Polson? You know what I mean? Yeah. If we don't reach out, who's going to do that? And what is the, what is the, um, and we're able to do it because of our central organization, which is offset by all the churches, what it would cost to come in and just do Polson. You couldn't come in and make that sustainable on its own. Right. I don't think, I mean, you maybe, need the both and right. Yeah. I think what, what, what's so unique about our church is we're able to do what we're doing in some of these smaller areas because I only need to hire I only need about uh, 80 to 90 hours at a campus. Like I think Polson's payroll would be about 90 hours added up one full time. And then maybe three part-time positions. Whereas, you know, you, because the accounting and everything creative, everything else is offset by the whole, our whole global church. We're able to offset the work in a place like that, where the suicide rates are out of this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Polson skews uh, Indian because of the reservation nearby. It It skews um, these small towns, the opioid crisis, Carrie, is yeah. devastating. Um, Montana per capita is the highest suicide rate in the nation. Really? And, mm-hmm, and uh, all of our campuses are in states that are higher on the list. I think we have one, three, six, and 16 represented on, on per capita suicide rates. And then you have, uh, you know, they, they call it hillbilly heroin, which is uh, the oxys. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And I know Canada's hit by that hard too. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Well, I mean, I'm getting emotional when I'm hearing you talk. Like, I just, I just think this is so important. 
and we've got to figure out a way to make it scale. And you've, you're figuring out a way to do it. What do you think the potential is for Fresh Life Church as you look ahead at the next five to 10 years? Like, what do you, do you have a specific plan? Yeah, so we've been in a holding pattern of launching because we launched uh, six in three years. Right. And so we had to chew what we swallowed. We've been going back to the drawing board on some systems. You know, my CFO, my operations pastor, my, my CFO comes from the banking world. And my operations pastors uh, from the Air Force, he used to fly F-16s. So you can't, you literally cannot throw more things at him than he can process while going 600 miles an hour. You know what I mean? So between those two, and then I have an amazing creative staff as well. We've been really figuring what you're saying out. How do we, how do we make these smaller campuses viable and sustainable and, uh, and, and pay for themselves at the same time, uh, allowing the work in, in Salt Lake City, Portland, those campuses can and should be at a place where they are creating uh, wealth that then other, some of the smaller ones are able to be offset by and subsidized by some way. As far as not the local staff, because Polson covers its bills and its payroll, but not, they're not paying for my salary. You know what I right. mean? Yep. So, but that are but we're willing to do that because we're not willing to say to a small city like Butte, Montana, or to, to, to pulse and screw you, you know, so we're, right. we're willing to see, I, I know what, when I tithe, I'm happy to know that part of mine is not just going for the church my family attends, but is going to offset the work in one of these smaller areas. No, that's good. And one of the challenges is money for sure. Another one would be um, recruiting team, like volunteers and staff. It's not like, you know, seminaries are exporting leaders to Montana and to the states that you're in. Tell us about your leadership development approach and how you're finding campus pastors, uh, church staff, and volunteers. Yeah, primarily up until this point, and you know, we're all we don't think we've got it perfected. Up until this point, though, what seems to be the best is uh, hiring from within. First of all, the second source of hires has been our internship. We've had Mm. a really robust summer internship. And uh, right now, there's probably three or four of this coming off this internship that just ended today that we would like to see. Some of them are graduating college within the next year or two, but there's probably three or four of them that we hope to, you know, have a pal on our staff full time within the next 12 to 18 months. So that's that's those are the two probably some people getting saved within our church, yeah. and then eventually coming up to the ranks, and then those coming in from an internship perspective. How many interns would you have? Uh, so I think there were 21 this summer. Wow. So it's just a really robust program that you've developed. And obviously you've got a profile where maybe you can pull some people in who wouldn't normally find themselves there. Well, and the great thing is, you know, um, with the internship, you're not, it, it, it is almost hiring from within because you've had three months with them in a role, right. you know, doing it where they paid to be there. And then, you know, it's, I, I probably have, 10 former interns on staff, maybe more. Mm. How many staff do you have these days? There's about 80 altogether between yeah. full-time and part-time. Yeah, it's a good-sized staff. I know you and Jenny and I are going to do a separate podcast at some point where we talk about uh, you know your story and, and your situation together and the loss of your daughter. Apart from that, what have been some of the biggest hurdles that you've had to scale as a leader? whether that's personal or just in terms of your leadership life. Like you look back over the last 12 years, you're like, huh, that was big. Yeah. Oh man, Carrie, I don't know how long we are going to be going. Uh, I heard <laughs> a long conversation. I think it's some of the biggest frustrations have been in um, well, my, my new book that's coming out is called I declare war four keys to winning the battle with yourself. And oh. that has been without a doubt. Basically that book tells the story of um, me trying to come to terms with the most difficult person that I lead, which is no one on my staff, but it's me. And leading myself, managing myself, emotional behavior, you know, dealing with bad moods, uh, you know, having, learning how to have good, bad days and Mm. having the greatest day, but not letting that affect the way I treat people, my disposition, you know, and just knowing how much I have the capacity to set the, the pace positively or negatively for a meeting, for our team, for morale, et cetera. That, that is, I can't wait to read that. And you do come up with amazing titles, by the way, just for the record. 
soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, title envy. There it is. So, (laughs) okay. So let's walk through that. Uh, You don't wake up happy every day. Welcome to the world. No. uh, And not just that. It's, it's, um, I mean, I wake up pretty happy uh, because I get coffee quickly, Uh, but um, (laughs) it's, it's more just the funk. I don't even know how to describe it. It's the leadership funk. And it's not just bad days. Oh, the giving was bad. It can be, uh, what no one ever told me, Carrie, maybe, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. No one ever told me that you could be having the best of times and the worst of times simultaneously. Agreed. So I think you expect the bad seasons to be bad, but I think somewhat you compensate for that with faith. It's, it's the melancholy in the middle of success. That it's almost like the great weekend, but then you're feeling like, how, how will we do this again? Have we peaked? Have we plateaued? It's a great series, or like you mentioned, a great title, and then going, I, I look 50 years forward, how will, I, how will I ever come up with more of those? You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Is the well going to run dry? Is this the end? And what have we built now? How do we sustain it? And how come everybody's happy and I'm not? Yeah, I've, I've never experienced any of that, Levi, so I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to my life, you know, my, on this day of recording this interview. Uh, you know, Tony, my wife hadn't been feeling particularly well. She's feeling a little bit better today, but I think the funk caught up with me and she's like, what are you upset about? And I'm like, if I knew that, (laughs) you know, and it's a good day. There's so many things moving in the right direction, but you're right. I think the leadership funk, the, the weirdness, because there's not even a direct cause and effect, right? Like, what is that? And then learning how to lead that and out of that and, and manage that and not allow those things to creep. Because I think the creep, the creep happens is where it's like dominoes and then everything gets thrown off. So how to still lead at your best and lead, be the leader your team needs, even when you're dealing with those battles on the inside and not, you know, not compartmentalizing in an unhealthy way. But I think, Kara, what, what I didn't know how to do well when I first started out that, that I, I would like to think I'm getting better at is, is being able to choose what's right even when I feel something different and knowing that that's not hypocrisy or a double standard. That's just obedience and faithfulness. So the biggest paradigm shift I've probably had in my walk with Jesus has been when I realized that worship is not um, a feeling expressed through actions. It's an act of obedience that sometimes leads to feelings. So if I worship because God is worthy of it, not because I feel like it, then I can take that model and apply it to every area of my life. It's not fake to be kind to my wife, even when I feel like not. It's actually, it's, that's sanctification. That's dying to yourself. And that God blesses that obedience. And then, you know, because we, we, our, our culture, my generation especially, places such a high value on authenticity. Yeah. That we excuse bad behavior in in the name of living my truth. That's so true. And I think you're right. You know, that's been part of my journey too. Your emotions eventually catch up to your obedience, but your obedience has to go first. Even on the days you don't feel like being kind, even on the days you don't feel like sitting in the chair that you're sitting in. Man, when does that book come out? Do you know? October 30th. Oh, like it's imminent. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. So... I don't have mine in hand like you do, but uh, uh, two days ago we gave the the approval for it to go to the, pu- the printer, so it's 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 on its way. That's exciting. It's called "I Declare War." Four keys to winning the battle with yourself. Yeah, it must be available for pre-order, is it? Yeah, so the pre-order campaign's live and alive and well. And right now, I don't know when when is this going to air. You know, in I'm going to say September. I can look. Levi, let's go. Let's see. I've got it October 30th. Is that a good day? Is that your release day? That's my release day. Hey, look at that. You see, we did that. So today, this book that we're talking about comes out. How about that, Levi? That is the most amazing gift. Yes. So yeah, you're welcome. I think we probably planned it that way. Thank you, Holly Beth and your team. So what do we know? There you go. Well, get, (laughs) get, get the book. If you buy two books this year, I I didn't see it coming. Buy two of those. If you buy three books this year, buy two copies of <laughs> I Didn't See It Coming and one copy of I Didn't War. That's helpful. What else do you cover now that now that I realize that this is a launch day? And I probably, it was my first interview with you. So I'm like, I wanted to just ask you about a thousand questions. 
What have been some other struggles that you cover in the book, just so people know? I want to make sure we cover that. Talk about what I call being um, hijacked by the version of yourself you don't want to be, which is all mm. about bad news. Um, I talk about, re- really, the, the book breaks down, like, did you play war with your grandma as a kid? I declare war, the card game. No, did you though? Obviously. So yes. Yeah. So the card game war, you be, you each have half the deck, and you put a card down, and if you tie, you have to do four cards, and you say I declare, and you war. war. Oh, that's fun. So the book breaks down into the four cards, and the first card is the words that you speak. The second card is the thoughts that you think. The third card is the habits that you choose to make repeatedly, and then the fourth card is the Holy Spirit, phantom power that gives us energy. And that's what keeps the book from being self-help. Instead, it taps into God's help because, yes, we have to choose to speak, think, and act like we should. But if we're not trusting the Holy Spirit, we won't have energy to power our efforts towards change to actually become the leaders, the fathers, the parents, the children that we were born to be. What, was de- what does dependence on the Holy Spirit look like in your week? So for me, I think it's, it's the air I breathe. I mean, there's not a day where I'm not lifting my hands up and asking for the help. You know, I think uh, Jesus said, you have not because you asked not. So at the end of the day, all the power we need for our lives to be powerful is in God's hand. But every day you have to ask for it anew to get it because it's it, there's no rollover minutes. If I don't ask for today's power, tomorrow I can get tomorrow's power, but right. I will have the chance to get today's power. No rollover minutes. That's very true. It is a daily dependence on God. Um, you... You have some incredible mentors in your life, at least I would assume so, uh, via Instagram, and I follow you on social, but you spend quite a bit of time with Craig Rochelle, quite a bit of time with people like uh, Louie and Shelly Giglio. Can you tell me the impact that mentors have had in your life and what you're learning from them? Well, I'll tell you what. I learned from them from afar long before I learned from them up close. And I would say to those listening, you're like, oh, I don't have Louis, you know, cell phone number. I didn't either, but I learned from him and I never let distance separate me from having an impact. So, you know, the Karen Newhoff Leadership Podcast is a gem to, to, for the listeners who would say, well, I can't meet with them in person, Well, you can learn from how he thinks and how you think. And so, you know, I, I was learning from Pastor Craig and Pastor Louis uh, well before they would ever know who I was. In fact, I would go and attend Pastor Craig's One Day Leadership Catalyst events with Andy Stanley, yeah. I, I attended multiple times. I actually met him once in a book line. He wouldn't remember it, but um, but I did. And and I, I took all my notes from those and I would go sit down with my staff and work through them, you know, and I would watch his podcast, watch how he would deliver his invitation, how he would, you know, address the camera, et cetera. And so, you know, when when the time came and I ended up, um, how did I meet Pastor Craig? I don't remember, but when we finally did one day meet and he you know, gave me his number, or whatever, we started talking, there was already a context of mentoring that had happened long before we were doing it up close. So, uh, but from Pastor Craig, I would say the thing I've learned from him the most is efficiency. There's, I've never met a more efficient person in my entire life in, in how he utilizes his time, in the intentionality with which he's a father. Uh, the way he leverages video to make life church possible and and be able to be with his family, et cetera. Um, yeah, and then with with Louis and Shelley, um, I mean, those people love Jesus, and that was off uh, being around them. And and Louis and Shelley, as you know, are probably the most um, probably the most creative when it comes to designing everything. The way they've designed the buildings, series language it's it's all so beautifully designed hmm and so you're learning that from them uh, what uh, you know when you think back to leading yourself how important has it been to you and i realize this can sound like a rhetorical question but it's not supposed to be how important is it to you that you have someone you can pick up the phone and talk to on a bad day like somebody who gets your world that's super important um I don't, I wouldn't say I, I do that too often. Um, okay. I would say it would be more of a text. Like if I'm, if I'm, I would be more like a text. Um, and then it, I don't go too often without seeing one of those you mentioned. Uh, 
at an event and a conference. So I, I, I think I don't talk on the phone. You keep short accounts. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm reading nineties language here. <laughs> Pick up the phone but, and call you know, somebody. I, I but yeah. Except for my dad and my mom. Those are right. the two people I really phone to. Other than that, it's text and then in person, you know, as as we can. Ah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. It's funny for me. I still, and I'm I'm older than you are, but I still enjoy a conversation every once in a while. I had uh, half an hour with my son today in Toronto. I'll call friends from time to time, but there's something about voice to voice that's really good. But yeah, I blow up my phone too. I had a friend who's leading a very large church text me yesterday with a personnel issue and you know, all that. But that, I, I guess the real question under that question is for that kind of support and networking. Um, a lot of pastors say they feel alone. A lot of pastors feel isolated. They have a bad day. They get into a place where they don't know what to do, but they have no one to talk to. Um, talk about what you have done to guard yourself against that. Yeah, that's such a good question, isn't it? I mean, I think... Um knowing how much you could do to damage the name of Christ and knowing how much you could do to hurt your kids and knowing how much you could easily do something in minutes that would erase what you've done for decades uh, mm. is, is I think important to constantly think about because sin makes you stupid. And we all know those people who have, you're like, how did you not see this coming? I mean, you, how, how did, you know what I mean? Like what brought you, and it's, 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 I think the little nose that justify the big nose. So it didn't seem like that big of a deal. You know, you watch the show, you lower the, the morals in some small area, but it's not the big compromises that just pop up. It's the, it's the small ones. And I think, um, so, you know, if you're preaching the Bible, but not personally living this stuff out, if you're, if you're not getting your own time with Jesus, I think in those rhythms of fasting and, you know, this, it's, it, I think those safeguards that you put into place as far as, you know, um, not being alone. I don't travel out on the road alone. I, I don't spend time alone with female staff members. I, I think it's it's basically putting a rumble strip in in your life to, to hear the problem before you get to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. One more question for you before we wrap up today. Um, you think about the future. And not just your church, not just Fresh Life Church, but I want you to think about um, the church. I think we all agree things are changing pretty fundamentally. Where do you see the church going in the next few years? Well, I think that churches have got to figure out why brick and mortar would even be a viable option for people and what, what that looks like with podcasts and worship music. People in our churches, they can listen to Stephen Furtick and Hillsong Worship and, ne- and not need to come to church. Mm-hmm. So why why would they have to, why would they, why should they care? I think at the end of the day, um, it's, fa- it's going to be family life that's going to make the difference. You know, what the kids experience, what the kids program looks like, uh, et cetera. That is, if you're not putting money into that, we're, we're rehauling our Kalispell entire facility for kids all all. Every effort is going into that space, rock climbing walls and, you know, gaga pit for the dodgeball and nine square and like that stuff. And then we're filtering that out at every location because otherwise there's no reason to not watch church online. Right. So I think that's something that we have to pivot and shift and, and think more about, especially for us, being that we started as a younger church. We've, we've always been a little bit behind on youth and, 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 and kids programs. So we're compensating, catching up. But I think it's also more imperative than ever that we're thinking through those things that, that would make brick and mortar even necessary for people. So you're going to double down on family ministry? Absolutely. That's fascinating. Yeah, I know we, you, you met with a, a mutual friend, Frank Beeler from Orange, and uh, they've got some brilliant ideas on that stuff. And I can't wait to see what you do in that area. Oh man! Well, the, 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 I would highly recommend them. We love, 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 love orange, and uh, um, yeah. So cool. Well, Levi, people are going to want to learn more. Um, where can they find you online? Um, so yeah, Levi Lesko on Instagram and website and uh, all that stuff. Cool. We'll link to all of it in the show notes. Hey, thank you so much for spending some time with us, and I can't wait to catch up next time. 
Thanks for having me on book release day. Yeah, yeah. Big day. Big day. Thanks, Levi. I really appreciate it. That was a great chat. I mean, I just love Levi and I love seeing how God's using him really all over the country as he speaks at conferences and his influence grows. And uh, man, what a thrill. You can find everything in the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 224, where you will find information about everything, including the links to breaking200course.com, where we are offering some specials for just a couple more days. So make sure you get in on those before the price goes up and help your church break through church growth barriers. Also, um, all the information about push pay and then remodel health and make sure you can go to remodelhealth.com slash carry pushpay.com and tell them Carrie sent you. And thank you to those guys because you know what they do? We trust the people that we partner with in this and they make it possible to bring you professionally produced episodes, top rated guests uh, and all that stuff that sort of goes on behind the scenes here at the podcast. So I really appreciate their help in bringing you this for free to you. So next week, we are back with a fresh episode, and I sit down, we have a great conversation with Adam Hamilton. And a lot of you will know Adam. He leads the largest United Methodist Church in America. He's been at this for many decades, has so much wisdom, and here's an excerpt from next week's episode. It was the most painful thing I've ever walked through in ministry. I, I questioned myself, did I miss God's will? Did I fail you, God? I, you know, a lot... And I'm not prone to depression. I spent a year in a funk and wow. uh, wondering if I needed to go somewhere else or leave. Or and I was getting job offers, you know, at that time to go be president of a seminary or go here or there or whatever. And and uh, I remember my wife said to me in the middle of this, she said, I told her, I said, do you mind if we do something else? I can't do this for 20 more years. This this hurts too much. And uh, she said, well, I'll go with you anywhere you feel God's calling us to go. I just have one question for you: Is God calling you to leave, or are you running away? So that's next week on the podcast. We are back with a fresh episode. And uh, thank you guys. So appreciate it. Also, thank you to everybody who has continued to make the launch of Didn't See It Coming so strong. We are still sitting at number one now, two and a half, almost three months in its categories. And uh, man, you guys, thank you. Now, before we go, any nerds out there? Um, I'm a nerd. And if you enjoy the behind the scenes conversation tomorrow, I've got the next episode. I know Tuesdays is sort of our constant day, but tomorrow I'm going to give you a fresh one. And I sit down with Josh Gagnon and Daniel King, and we talk about how to break church growth barriers at 30, 100, 200, 400, 1,000, multi-site, you name it. They've got nine campuses, almost 10 in four different states. And we go right back to the beginning. And how do you make sure that pastoral care scales? I mean, we just nerd out. That's tomorrow on the podcast. So actually, we'll talk to you before next Tuesday. But in the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.